I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 18 of Season 6 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast, where we take a caprice journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, One Minute at a Time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Nick Rehack of the Rabbit Hole Podcast. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Thank you for having me back, man. Well, why don't you just drop a chair? Maybe you'll be more comfortable that way. <laughs> if there was anything worth listening to, I would. <laughs> So, minute 18 begins with Peter asking a question and ends with George trying to defend his decisions. Yesterday, we we ended things with Peter and George uh, having their conversation at the table. And, you know, Peter asks George, what are his plans after college? Trying to, uh, I guess, veer George into a position where he will once again agree to maybe come back and, and work in the building and loan. Or saving in loan, you know, because that, that, that's what, you know, Peter sees that George has so much potential. And in this minute, we're going to get even more about that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the minute end, uh, begins with Peter saying, of course, it's just a hope. But you wouldn't consider coming back to the building and loan, would you? So, I mean, it, it just from the way that Peter says this, you can see how much he appreciates uh, you know, the work that George has put in and the skills that he has. And, you know, the, the, the idea that, that building and loan is so much better because George is there, you know, he's able to ease things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, actually, I just, it just made me think of something. I mean, if George was constantly at the building and loan, maybe actually, maybe he wasn't there during the afternoon or whatever. Maybe that's what it was. No, because my, my question was going to be, then how come he didn't know about the fact that his father had an a, a tussle? With, with Potter during the course of the day. But then again, we did see George walking through town, you know, picking up his uh, new suitcase and things like that. So maybe he just, you know, maybe he had already stopped working at the building and loan. Yeah, he cut out early for the day or, you know, a couple of days prior. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and George starts stammering as well. I, I, I you know, like he, he doesn't really know how to respond here, you know, because – he doesn't want to disappoint his father, I guess. I think that's what it no, comes down to. No, he wants to stay true to himself is too. Right. I, 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 that's, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's how it no, it's. No, it's, right, yeah. it's a combination of both. On the one hand, he wants to stay true to himself because he wants to be this, he, he wants, he wants to do big things. You know, that, that's the way he's looking at it. You know, that, that you have to do something important in life. And, and the way to do it is to, to build uh, you know, whether it's to, to build up big skyscrapers or, or whatever it is, you know, George hasn't really understood what Peter already understands. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, today and tomorrow. And, you know, as George is, is putting his thoughts together as to what to say, he looks over and he sees Annie just standing there, 
And he says, well, why don't you drop a chair? Then you'd be more comfortable and you can hear everything that's going on. <laughs> and her response is great because she basically says, I would if I, if I thought I'd, I'd hear anything worth listening to. <laughs> and then he goes, that, ah, that you would, huh? a smile on my face. Yes. Yes. It's, I mean, the, 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 the dialogue here is amazing. You know, the whole, the whole movie yeah. has great dialogue. Again, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, and I've mentioned this before also. It's not something you would expect from a movie in 1946. No. You'd yeah. expect, like, a, a quippy comeback, and then the person storms off, and then the person feeling like, yeah, I got one over on them. But instead, it's just they're play, they're ribbing each other. You know what I mean? That's they're right. joking around, <laughs> and, like, he, he even, like, throws a wink at her and then kind of giggles a little bit. Like, it's just... There's such a and it goes back to when we first kind of get in this scene here, just the jovial, just how even the conversation as it starts to kind of turn and and get a little heavy, you know, sharing, you know, the uh, desires and, you know, just kind of life in general. It it it's still there's still a lightness in the room, like it's right. not so dark and deep where it's just like, you know, we're ruining it with these moments like, no, this is just how people would be. People would be having a serious conversation and then inject just a little bit of levity into it, you know, because at times I think we all realize like things are a little heavy and they don't necessarily need to be. And that's that's all this is. It's just just I don't want to say people being people, but it feels like people being people. It just all feels so natural. Right. Right. And I mean, it's funny, though, because on the one hand, they, if they think of Annie as being part of the family, you know, why does she need to feel as if she needs to eavesdrop? You know, like, I mean, later in the week, we'll, we'll see that she's standing at the window at the door of the, to the kitchen, you know, eavesdropping and stuff like that. So it got me thinking, OK, the word eavesdropping, do, do you know, like, uh, first of all, what, what does eavesdropping mean? I'm going to assume it comes from a previous phrase where someone was literally hanging off of a roof and ordered like the eaves of a roof. They were hanging up in there in order to hear something uh, while trying to like not fall and to catch someone eavesdropping, like literally in the eaves, trying not to fall or drop into the conversation that they're overhearing. Nick, that's amazing. It really is. An eavesdropper was somebody who would hang from the eave of a building. So as to hear what is being said with it. <laughs> that is the definition of it. Yes, you did. You really nailed it there. So proud of myself. <laughs> I'm smiling <laughs> ear to ear right now, dude. <laughs> That's great. I never would have thought about that. I never never would have made the connection between the eaves of, of, of a roof, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And But what's interesting is that the definition here, it says the act of secretly or stealthily listening to a private conversation or communication of others without their consent in order to gather information. Okay, so the question is, is, is what she's doing here considered eavesdropping? Because she's not doing it secretly. She's just, or because maybe she's pretending, uh, maybe because she's tending to them that, you know, she's not supposed to be paying attention. Maybe that's the idea of why you would maybe call this eavesdropping. Maybe, maybe. You know, like I'm trying to think of what the term would be of what is exactly she's doing here. You know, if it's not eavesdropping. Be, yeah. yeah, if it's not eavesdropping, I mean, it would be... Because she's not out on the roof. Just, she's kind of <laughs> loitering, maybe. <laughs> she's just kind of hanging around, lingering a little bit. Right. 
lingering a little too much to want to hear where everything's going on. Again, not that the house is so big and not that you can't hear what's going on when you're in other rooms, but but still, mm-hmm. he wants to be there for that, uh, you know, whole thing. Peter says to, to George, well, I know it's too soon to talk about it because, again, we're talking four years from now. That that's It is a long time if you're looking at it from that perspective. You know, and then George, George gives a very long diatribe now, and he says, now, no, now, Pop, I couldn't. I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Pop. I didn't mean to. But I, it's this business of nickels and dimes and spending all your life trying to figure out how to save three cents on the length of pipe. I go crazy. I want to do something big and something important. So, I mean, this says a lot about George's uh, philosophy on life. You know, it goes back to what I said before, that, that as far as he's concerned, you know, if you don't do something big, then it's not worth it. You know, everyone has to see that you do something big. You know, and and it's well, ironic I, that he's living in this small town and he believes that. And I, I think that's most people, though, growing up, no matter where you grow up, you grow up and you're like, I'm in this town. I'm still trying to really figure out who I am and what I'm about. I just know that I want to do something. I want and of course, we see it in TV shows and films, someone that goes from, you know, from nothing into something and just builds himself into this larger than life type figure. And I think a lot of people see that and they go for it. And right. along the way, what's important to you starts to change a little bit. Your idea of success and what that is starts to change a little bit. Even the idea of I want to do something important. Well, doing something important could be, you know, running for a political office or designing a town. But something important could also be like, you know, working a dead end job, but spending all of your off time like volunteering at a homeless shelter or volunteering at, uh, you know, animal shelter, you know, things like that. Like there's different ways to kind of bring that all out. But he's just kind of thinking kind of one track mind at at the moment, which, yeah. again, it, he's that age. So that's that's what's going to happen. I was right. exact, exact way, the exact way. You were you were going to make 18 million dollars before you hit 30. That was your plan before I hit 30. And then yeah. here we are. I, I didn't quite make the mark. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because of inflation, yeah, that's what that's what it comes down. Exactly, to. that and that's what got me was the inflation. There you go. <laughs> but I mean, I also find it interesting that he that that he basically disparages the building and loan and says a shabby little office, mm-hmm. meaning that that you know he's been working here in in the building and loan maybe for two years, you know, and maybe three years. I mean, again, we're we're not sure exactly of how long he was working there, but. You know, he's basically disparaging the place where he works and his his father's family business by saying that it's, you know, this this, this little shabby place. You yeah, know, what he doesn't realize and his dad starts to kind of push him towards that realization is that, yeah, it might be a shabby little place, but is doing big things, important things for people in the neighborhood, for people in the community, for Correct. those that don't have the means to do it for themselves. That's a place that they can go to to help others. They're not putting the money into this big office with like sprawling sofas and people kind of hang on stuff. No, he's putting that money into the business. He's putting that money into the pockets of the people that need it. George mentions nickels and dimes. Yeah. So uh, when do you think they they first started using the nickel as a currency in the U.S.? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I think – I think the nickel goes back into the 1800s. 
I don't want to say like the 1830s or 1840s. Okay, well, originally it was called a the, the nickel as a nickel, which is five cents, was started being issued in 1866. Okay. Okay. Kind of close. Kind of. But before that, they had what was known as a half dime. Okay. So, you know, you you the and the half dime was issued between 1792 and 1873, um, and then they they phased it out as they were starting to bring around the nickel. Makes sense. Yeah. They started using the two cent and three cent pieces, and then they finally started using the five cent piece. First, they had the shield nickel, and then after that, that was until 1883. Then it was replaced by the Liberty head nickel which was then replaced by the Buffalo nickel in 1913. Mm-hmm. And, and then they, they changed it to the Jefferson nickel in 1938. So when this movie came out, you know, they already had the Jefferson nickel, but they were still, you know, since it's 1928, they were still using the Buffalo nickel. You know, and the, the difference between all these nickels was basically the design. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think it would. Yeah, just that. You know, it's the same thing. They're they're all worth five cents. You know, it wasn't the question of them being worth something else. It was just what what they they have. You know, and you know that in 2020 it cost seven cents to produce a nickel. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> That's so, so silly. Yeah. So the. the they, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming that at some point they will phase them out. You I'm know, kind of surprised it hadn't happened already. Yeah, especially since, you know, most people most people use credit cards these days and stuff like that. So you don't necessarily need to have the small change, you know, from, from that perspective. Yeah, anymore. Yeah. And and then he mentions the dime. So when when do you think they started using the dime? Well, if it used to be a half dime way back in the 1700s. They had to have had the dime in the early 1700s. So I'll just say, let's go 1712. No, but well, I do no, know. But you're, you're making you're making one uh, misconception here. You know, the okay. the half nick, the half dime. So, you know, this, this was all American currency. So it could only happen after the revolution. Oh, yeah. Because up until the revolution, they were still using uh, British currency. The pound and everything. Right, right. Okay. Well, then let's – okay. Then I'll just up it 100 years and say like 1810. No, 1792. <laughs> okay. Man. <laughs> it, the dime is the smallest uh, and thinnest of all U.S. coins. And uh, currently, the, the who, who's depicted on the dime? Do you know? Uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt because – uh, March of the Dimes, when he had polio. He was like, if everybody sends in a dime, we can cure polio. Right. And do you know where the where the, the term dime comes from? Oh, let's see. Um, it's it's gotta be it's gotta be something Latin. So I'm gonna say something Latin. <laughs> okay, so it, it, it does eventually come from Latin. It comes from the French, the word dizme, okay, which means a tithe or a tenth. Of of something, which obviously a dime okay. is a tenth of a dollar, and that comes from the Latin word decima, which means to a tenth of something. Okay, that makes sense. Right. And how much do you think it costs to make a dime? Oh, probably. Ooh, you know what? No, because it's thinner. It's thinner than the nickel, thinner than the penny. So let's say it takes eight cents to make a dime. 
5.65 cents. Okay. That, much better than I thought it was going to be. Hot yeah. dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And unlike unlike the, the, the nickel, it actually, you know, costs – it. it you, they make money on making them. Do you know what year they put uh, Roosevelt on the dime? <sighs> 40, 48, 46. 1948, 46. Very close. Oh, man. Yeah. Which I mean, makes sense because, you know, he died in 45. So, you know, you, mm-hmm. you generally don't put people on uh, currency. <laughs> no, not really. Unless until, it's uh, until after they're well, no, no you said there. currency. So no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this way they can't get mad at the picture you use. <laughs> That's true. Also, well, they they still have family members. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. That's right. Beforehand, they had the uh, the Mercury dime, which has a, a which had a picture of Mercury. You know the, like the the planet or the god. The god. The Roman Roman god. Answer, and I'm sure you do. But why Mercury? They actually well, first of all, it, it's considered one of the most Beautiful U.S. coin designs ever produced, and why did they choose to use like like why him? Why? Well, because okay, it symbolizes liberty and freedom, and uh, its wings huh. symbolize uh, freedom of thought. Okay, that's kind of cool. They used they used that from 1916 to 1945. That's kind of cool, which, which is interesting because to use that during World War One into World War, you know, into the, the between the war years and then into World War Two. That's actually very interesting. They they would choose to do that. Yeah, yeah, because that kind of seems counterintuitive in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then at, at this point, Peter then gives a, a response to to George after him basically saying, you know, what what I want is to, you know, do something big. And he responds by saying, you know, George, I feel that in a small way we're doing something important. Satisfying a fundamental urge, it's deep in the race for a man to want his own roof and walls and fireplace. And we're helping him get those things in our shabby little office. <laughs> so he sort of throws that back in his face, you know, by the fact well, that he, he calls it a, a shabby little office. Meaning that, mm-hmm. well, also part of the, the idea here is that why is it a shabby little office? Because we're saving our money for... To help people, you know, George George might might say facetiously, you know, that the nickel and diming and wanting to save three cents on the length of pipe. But you know, if you save three cents here and three cents there, three cents there, and eventually you're going to be able to use that money for something else. And that's the whole idea of the building and loan. Yeah, it adds up really quick. Yeah, and and you know, Peter and and uh, Billy did a nice job of of uh, creating the. The you know the building alone. I mean, later on, you know, Potter will will say some not nice things about Peter about that that he he wasn't a very good businessman. But the question is is you know when you look at it, is Peter supposed to be a good businessman here, or is he supposed to be able to give the best service to uh, you know Potter looks at it that someone's not a good businessman if they're not making money on their own, as opposed to he's, he might not be a good businessman, but he's a good man of business. Correct. And I think that's the idea here that, you know, Peter, Peter knows how to help those that are in need of help and, you know, be able to stretch his dollar in order to be able to do that. And I mean, we find out later in the movie that George is even better than Peter is at doing this, even though George isn't happy doing it. He still is, you know, uh, 
he has the internal uh, drive or the intuition to do these things. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so great watching him do them. You know, and I, I think Peter can see this. You know, I think he has a good enough intuition of his own to see, you know, how well his son is fit to do this type of work. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that 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 would be something that's that's nature or nurture? Oh, I I think it's a little bit of both, but leaning more towards nature because we can be brought up and we can be raised a certain way. But when we start to interact with the world and we see how it is, be it in person or through the media or however, I think going back to that nurture is only going to help so much unless there's like deeper conversation to be had with it. Instead of just having a, a life experience and holding it within and kind of basing that, like having that life experience, reflecting on it, but also reflecting on it with, you know, part of that nurture or the family or a friend or something. I think that also kind of helps change and shift it as well. Right. No, I, I think I think it, it, it's part of that. I think it, it's the idea that, that I, I actually I think George is a product of both nature and nurture. You know, I think he has the internal inherent uh, ability to do these things. But, but, you know, growing up in the Bailey household where he sees how his father runs things, you know, he doesn't necessarily change the way that the building alone works after his father is no longer running it. You know, he continues with that. So he uses his own skills to continue what his father started in the same manner that his father did it. So I think it's a combination of both, you know, that, that, you know, he has the, you know, it, it's not just that he was sitting at home and saw how his father does stuff and he's doing it, but, you know, he, he naturally is able to do these things. You know, he, he naturally knows how to help others, which I guess is part of the, the whole theme of this movie because he doesn't even notice, he doesn't even notice how much he's helping people. Because he's doing it no. uh, so so naturally without even thinking. Yeah, yeah, he's not looking for the rub. He's just like, oh no, it's it's what's it's what you're supposed to do. That's right, and I think that 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 works really well for him and for the movie by the way that it does that. George begins to respond to his father and says, "I know, Pop." So he uh, he basically he knows his father's right here. You know, even though he he has his internal feelings that he needs to break out and he needs to get away. And do something else, but inside he still knows that helping people on a smaller scale could possibly have a bigger impact than helping, you know, on a big, on a larger scale, uh, which might only have a smaller impact, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. So I find it really interesting that he's able to to already notice this type of thing. So, did you have anything else you want to say about this minute? No, I. I... Outside of, you know, repeating myself that it's just a really well-written and really well-acted, and it's just a great conversation. Yeah, and I, I love how they're continuing to have their their meal as they're doing this. I mean, you know, in this minute, Peter Peter uh, takes sugar and puts it into his, his uh, coffee, you know, and you can see the steam coming out of his coffee or tea or whatever it is that he's drinking. You know, and their conversation is continuing. It's like it's not. You know, I think I mentioned this yesterday, the day before, that that 
you know, it's as if they, they, they need to stop and look at one another while they're talking. You know, they, they can continue having, I, I know it bothers you to watch people eat as they're talking, but they continue, <laughs> they continue their meal as they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it, it feels very natural the way the whole, the, the whole conversation is flowing throughout this, this, uh, this meal that the two of them are, are sharing together. It's this quality of time. You know, they, they have this, these, uh, this quality three minutes between the father and son. And I think, I think it works really well. It does. And, okay. So every Wednesday I have a, a segment called it's a wonderful Wednesday. So the, the idea behind this segment is the fact that, uh, it's, it's a known fact that ever since this movie came out, there have been numerous copies of the, the basic premise of this movie reused in other movies, in TV shows. Uh, you get it in other media also, you get it in music, you get it in literature, you know, where the, the idea is, is, okay, what would happen if the main character either didn't exist or did something different? you know, along the way, that type of thing. So what I do every week in this segment is, is highlight a different uh, reference or trope, however you want to call it, to this in somewhere in, in pop culture uh, uh, over, the, over the years. So this week okay. I decided that I'm going to choose. Um, are you familiar with the TV show, uh, That 70s Show? Yes, I am. Okay. So they had an episode uh, which is called It's a Wonderful Life. It was the first se- the, the first episode of season four, and the idea is that um, at the end of the, the, the season finale of the previous season, so Eric and Donna had broken up, mm-hmm. and Eric made a comment that I wish that you never kissed me the you know the, the on on that first night together, and this whole episode basically talks about the fact that you know that a uh, guardian angel played by Wayne Knight shows up and uh, convinces. <laughs> and sorry, I just no, imagined okay. Wayne Knight is a guardian angel. <laughs> yeah, he, he's actually very funny in this one. Uh, showing uh, Eric what his life would have been like had had he had Donna not kissed him or had had Donna not kissed him on that first night. You know where his life would have gone. So I mean, certain things in the in the episode. Uh, go a little too far, but you know, if you know the show, it's, it's still very funny, you know, what they do with the different characters and stuff like that. Like instead of, of, of uh, Donna kissing Eric, she goes back home and, and Hyde is there and she ends up starting a, a relationship with Hyde. Okay. And, and Eric then is the, you know, he's the third wheel in, in their whole group. Because he's the only one not with a girlfriend. What they basically show is things that happened later on in the seventies, things in the eighties. You know how how things happen here between these uh, different characters and stuff like that. Uh, basically, they they show here that 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 because of his relationship with Donna, Eric became more confident and uh, assertive against uh, you know Red about all the different things that he did. But in the, this new timeline that's been created, so he still remains repressed and uh, never stands up for himself. And he ends up, uh, you know, being in the chess club in high school. And then as an adult, uh, he, he ends up, uh, you know, just selling waterbeds. He ends up uh, getting in a relationship with, with, with someone who he's not even, uh, who doesn't, uh, who's not in love with, but she, she bosses him around and constantly berates him and he just takes it. 
because he doesn't know how to, you know, stand up for himself. And they end up showing that they have like a class reunion 10 years later. And, you know, he sees how everyone has changed except for the fact that, you know, he has, you know, he, he, he still believes that, that he has made the right decision of wishing that he'd never actually, uh, you know, gotten together with, uh, with Donna and Donna and, and Hyde end up getting married. Hyde spends time in jail, which is a little ironic. Uh, if, if a anyone, little. <laughs> if anyone knows about uh, what, what's going on nowadays with, uh, with, with, uh, with Danny Masterson, um, Kelso and Jackie keep, uh, they've been on and off, uh, relationship over the years. Uh, you know, like Kelso marries someone else, but he keeps having, uh, flings with, with Jackie. And then he, Kelso actually ends up, uh, uh, getting fat and, and works for, for, uh, for Eric with what he's doing. You know, Donna ends up, uh, you know, getting tattoos all the time. And, you know, she needs to support her, she needs to support her family because Hyde is constantly in, in, uh, in, in prison. So Fez basically doesn't really become part of the group. And then he becomes a, he, he creates a, an eighties type band, you know, with like a, a very strange uh, hairstyle, like Flocka Siegel type of hairstyle and stuff like that. He doesn't really know that his life is, is, is as bad as it is. Cause in, in the original timeline, Fez is part of the group, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and Red end up having another kid and it's, it's the son that, that Red, uh, claims he always wanted. So, you know, he treats this little kid so much better than he treats Eric. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, you know, for, for people who know the show, you know, you get to see this, this alternate timeline. I mean, the, the show sort of, uh, leaves it for us to, to, to debate whether it really happened or whether it's just a dream, you know, about the whole thing, but it's still a fun way of looking at, you know, how things would be different in the show had he and Donna not got back, gotten together, you know, in the first place. So, yeah. That's a, a a fun one to check out. If and if and if you've never seen the show, you should go check it out. It's it's a very funny show. It's it's one of the shows that I actually want to rewatch one of these days, you know, straight through again. I might have to do that too. I used to watch it all the time in high school. All the time. Yeah, it's a great show. <laughs> Nick, you wanna once again tell us where the people can find Nick Rehack? They could find me over at rabbitholepodcasts.com. Uh, I, there's a myriad of podcasts over there. I'm fortunate enough to be on two of those shows. One of them is called Lyrical Innuendo. Bubba Weed and myself take a deep dive to the lyrics of popular songs from the history of music, and we analyze whether they're about sex, drugs, or maybe it's just good old-fashioned rock and roll. Uh, there's another show that I'm on. It's newer to the rabbit hole family. It's called Play MST for me. Jason Soto is a hardcore, super, super, super mystery science eater, a 3000 fan. And I've never seen a show, an episode of the show in my life. And rather than go, hey, well, here's a couple of my favorites. You should see the show. Instead, started a podcast and we're watching every single episode of the show and talking about it. And it's been a lot of fun so far. And I just see nothing but good times ahead. So find us over rabbitholepodcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. All right, cool. 
And while you're doing that, you can rate, review, and subscribe on any podcast you might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Your Minute. You can find me on my website, moveyourminute.com. You can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter. So until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly Life with its sorrow, life with its tears.